0: Gather round, everyone. Almost time for what I now dub Tech Waifu Wars Edition.
1: Shoot the core, Cass.
0: Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Schmup Club. This is a family-friendly schmup themed podcast that puts the lewd in ludicrous speed. I'm addicted, also known as addicted to schmups,
1: and from RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known throughout other parts of the web as the Game Boy Guru. And RF Generation is where you want to be. Uh, RFGeneration.com is a website that has all kinds of good information. Uh, A huge database where you can catalog your games, articles on the front page, and uh, a great forum where lots of us will uh, interact and have discussions about different games, including the one that we're going to be talking about today. We also have an active Discord server, so please go check it out at RFGeneration.com.
0: And the other part that I want to add is the database includes not just US titles, but also includes... European, Japanese, uh, Brazilian, it's a worldwide database and very useful for tracking your collection if you are a uh, worldwide traveler with your collection. The other part I want to add in is that our Beat Every NES game from 2019 has been extended into 2020. So come join us and let's finish it off and put a mark or a notch in our belt for beating every Nintendo, sorry, licensed Nintendo game in the year 2020.
1: Yeah, and I want to say I was looking at the thread earlier, and I think there's a little less than 100 games to go.
0: Someone's got to play stadium events. <laughs> get down on, on your knees and hit the power pad with your hands.
1: Oh, yes. I remember doing that as a kid. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> Me too. <clears throat> All right, well. So, for the hour of Generation Schmuck Club in the month of December 2019, we played the game Otomedius Excellent for the Xbox 360, released originally in Japan, and then came, surprisingly, came over to the U.S.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's an interesting story that we should get into uh, here in just a little bit. But first, uh, I thought we would talk about the uh, question of the month that I threw out there for listeners. And that was, if you could make a shooting game that revolved around a certain theme or event, what would that be? And we had a few people chime in with uh, answers to that at James I E W 2000 says, I'd probably try to make something fresh Nowadays, the few shmups that appear are all made to be retro, even though the genre hasn't developed that much of late. So I'd want to make something that would test the limits like how all others have done before. And uh, then re- replied to that tweet shortly thereafter and said, sorry, I didn't give the question a proper look at. And that's okay. I mean, there you know, this is not really a, a wrong answer or right answer kind of thing. It's just off the cuff. And so... Yeah, I like that because, obviously, any way that you can innovate the genre and continue to uh, push it forward or do new things with it, I think is worth checking out and worth trying.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. We have shmups here that are themed after a tomato with hands. We have a hummingbird. And lately, we have a finger. So the sky's the limit, and definitely want to do something with the different systems on there i would say something maybe along the lines something other than damaku or uh, toho or even even your traditional shmup on there. S- something different like uh, take for example Risk wrist system it's an interesting game with its mechanics it's a little bit on the slower side but it's one of the first months I've ever been in where you actively go towards the bullets and it charges up your meter. Hmm. So there's definitely a lot of innovation to be done there.
1: Yeah. Um, ultra narwhal said, uh, I've, well, I've already made a Marine slash dinosaur themed shooter, but if I were to make another, it'd be purely dinosaur or something weird like adventures of classical composers. And, uh, those who aren't already familiar should check out his game. It is Narwar Project Horn Whale, and it is a shoot 'em up with sort of free movement, and uh, looks pretty cool. kind of 16-bit esque style.
0: Sounds good to me. I like the name.
1: Yeah, uh, our buddy at Collector Cast uh, Duke Togo from the forum says, "Gotcha, man. It was big before video games, so it never got its chance." And. Uh, yeah, that, that's a probably uh, a pretty solid idea there. I could see that happening. Uh, at Baltimore Retro says, I always thought it would be cool to have a Japanese perspective of well-known U.S. monuments and locations like the Grand Canyon, Washington, D.C., San Francisco Bridge, stuff like that. Kind of like the way Metal Wolf Chaos depicted the U.S. Uh, yes, please. Take the idea of Metal Wolf Chaos or something similar to that, and <clears throat> turn that into a shmup. I am there for that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good idea too. Uh, make like a spiritual sequel to. Uh, oh shoot! Now I had the name in my head, and just uh, you play a decapitated samurai head that uh, Zombie Nation.
1: Oh, Zombie Nation! Yes.
0: That that to me is, it screams Japanese take on. American landmarks, where uh, the Statue of Liberty and stuff, I could see a spiritual sequel doing very well. I don't know. You need a decapitated, uh, sorry, decapitated samurai head for that. I mean, you could put in all sorts of different things, but the idea is sound.
1: I would, I would definitely play a spiritual sequel to to Nation, for sure. Same here. Uh, and our buddy Easy Racer says. What about a shmup similar to Gunsmoke, loosely based on Paul Revere? It'd be interesting, and you could do a lot of wacky revisionist history. And I gotta say, Easy Racer, I am totally down for that idea. Uh, and if the developers of Jamestown haven't already done this, uh, since they did that sort of revisionist history thing with that shooter, yes, that, that would be amazing.
0: Yeah, maybe we can get something in here with some sort of uh, side story or guide in for uh, Assassin's Creed. (laughs) (laughs) That would be pretty cool to see.
1: And and thinking about, kind of going back to what uh, James IEW2000 said, you know, I kind of like the idea of taking something that is familiar and then turning it on its head. You know, think about you know, you were talking about not Don maku or whatever, uh, you know, something like if you took a, the idea of a game that would have a rank system where when you start to do better, something like the game gets easier. Uh, but, but not because you're not because of your skill level, but, but like the game ranks backwards. So in order to score really well, you have to find a balance between playing poorly or, I don't know, something like that. Or maybe something where, you know, as the as you go up in rank, the game switches styles from a traditional shmup to a Danmaku or maybe the reverse or something like that. You know, you start, you start as one thing and then it switches up and becomes something else. I, I don't know if that's possible or if that's something that you know could be programmed to sort of happen in real time but that i think that would be a kind of a cool idea
0: to me it sounds sort of like you're describing the dark souls theory here the the the, be- the better you get good the easier it gets
1: well maybe but i mean where not just because it it's not that it gets easier because the because the game has a set challenge and it's not challenging you anymore but that literally the game the programming of the game says, as you improve at it, it dumbs down, so you have to you have to strike a balance between playing really well, uh but then also sometimes either purposely dying or uh you know stop shooting for a little bit or whatever, so that then the enemies will start. Throwing everything they've got at you again, so that you can then ramp up the the difficulty in order to score better or, or, you know, unlock more more mechanics or something like that. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, you know, it almost sounds like you're describing a little bit of uh, maybe a variation upon a compile game I mean, we talked about was with Xenic earlier uh, last year with the different weapon types and if you get the force field weapon how. Everyone just appeared to start swarming you, right? So that yeah, that could be interesting.
1: A little bit more nuanced than that. Okay. So anyway, some some cool answers. I I uh, definitely some fun stuff to think about for all of you shmup devs out there who might be listening. <laughs>
0: hint, hint. Yeah. I'm sure this idea has been done, but I would like to see a tax based shmup. I think that'd be really cool to have like different forms be your power-ups, you know, you grab a W2 and you get that get dual shot or a W9 and then you get get an extra ship. You, you could just play a variation upon the theme and like avoid the called avoid the tax man. It may have been done for the Atari 2600. I mean, every other game for that seemed to be a shmup, right? You had tooth protectors, and oh, I'm trying uh, Pepsi Invaders. There's so many of the different shmups for that console, but uh, it will at least be an interesting thing to see a tax-based shmup where your power-ups are forms that you're collecting as you're trying to f- file an extension or something. You know, maybe a. Uh, you get through without having to file extension, then you, without continuing and that, that's your one CC
1: <laughs> oh, that's an interesting idea
0: yep. well, if someone can make it happen, I'd love to play it. Well any of these ideas actually. nice. <clears throat> All right so as we mentioned earlier, the game of the month for November, excuse me for December 2019 was Odamedius excellent. Which is a sequel to the arcade-only Odomedius Gorgeous. It came out on the Xbox 360 and arcades. It was sort of uncertain for a while if it would actually come stateside or come to the U.S., but it did eventually find an English release. That is for Odomedius Excellent. And I wish Odomedius Gorgeous would have come as well, but that stayed on the Japanese 360 and arcades. Have you was this your first time playing the game or, or have you had private experience with it? Um
1: this was my first time playing the game yeah I had uh, I had purchased the game some while back, but I had' hadn't actually popped it in yet.
0: yeah it was my first time as well trying this game <clears throat> and I was starting expecting something more akin to a, like a spiritual sequel for Parodius and in that it didn't disappoint. So, <clears throat> let me start with our first impressions here. Let's take a look at the intro to the developers in the game. As we all know, Konami needs no introduction, as both one of the biggest developers during the 8 and 16-bit eras, as well as subsequent console generations, and being the developers of the Gradius series, among others. <coughs> as we mentioned earlier, Automedius Excellent is a Western release of Automedius X, the Japanese console's only sequel to Odimedius an arcade shooter loosely based around the Gradius gameplay concepts with references to other Konami properties. This particular game was helmed by producer Koji Igarashi. The original arcade release had a touch screen where players could interact with the on-screen avatars of the character you've chosen. Uh, funnily enough, the... <coughs> Arcade stick that was released to go along with this game has a touchscreen where you could interact as well, and uh, I I would put the word creepily in front of interact, <laughs> but um, it's certainly a unique feature. Indeed, Automedius was ported to the Xbox 360 as Automedius G which added a boss brush mode as well as a range mode with six stages and was called gorgeous mode. Now, Odomanius G is something that I definitely want to try after this, but I need to grab myself a Japanese 360. Do you want interested in after playing this game?
1: Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to play it and compare the two. Um, I also need to get myself a, uh, a Japanese 360 or a modded 360 that can play Japanese games, either one. But uh, yeah, I, I would have interest in trying it just to see how it compares.
0: Yeah. And it's definitely uh, with, with the amount uh, it, just with, with Parodius the amount of different characters and different references in here. I want to see what they've referenced and all the stuff. Just like you get excited for looking at a new entry in the Parodius series. Right. Now, the name Otomedius is a portmanteau of Otome, which means maiden or young girl in Japanese, and Gradius, from which the game draws the bulk of its inspiration. Rather than controlling a standard ship, as with the Gradius or Salamander games, instead you control a character that sits atop smaller versions of various Konami shoot-em-up ships, similar to speeder bikes in the Star Wars movies. Odometius G and Odometius X reportedly both sold poorly in Japan, though according to VG charts, Odometius Excellent sold 130,000 copies in North America for a worldwide total of 180,000 units. So, uh, 50,000 units in Japan estimated, that's...
1: Well, yeah, I think it's less than that, um...
0: The 360 wasn't selling Game Busters in Japan, but still, that's for that's not very good.
1: You yeah, know, definitely, uh, definitely not a, a heavy seller for the system, uh, despite the pedigree that it comes with.
0: Yeah, you would have, sort of be more inclined to think that the Cave Cavesmots were more the system seller on the 360 in Japan. True. Now, the special edition boxes of the North American release still can be had, as we're recording this, for under $30 complete. So, uh, don't hoard them for the secondary market. (laughs) Definitely. All of the characters in the game are references to various Konami properties, most notably their shooting games, but other series are also included, such as Castlevania, Tokimeki Memorial, Busou Shinkai and Getsu Fumiden. DLC bosses are based upon YY World, Gambari Goman, and Twin I wish there was a version that included all of the DLC, but I understand why they wouldn't put it to disc, or there, which, uh, there was uh, like a complete package or something. That would be nice.
1: Yeah, I know there's been uh, some chatter on Twitter the last uh, couple months or so, Um there's a guy who is now working for Play Asia doing some marketing in the West, and uh, his name is Joshua Michael French, if memory serves, and he did a mock-up cover of uh, an, a, an Otomedius release, what it might look like on Switch, which basically just took the artwork from the Xbox 360 release and kind of made it look like a Switch game on the, on the cover there. And so he was asking for that. I could see that being a thing where if that ever happened, that they would probably just not bother with doing all the DLC as still DLC and probably just package it all together so that it would just come included.
0: That would be nice. You know, even if it's just a hamster release with everything on there, that will be nice to see on switch.
1: Yeah. One thing I would say is, is, uh, all the extra music packs definitely take up space, so they would have to they would have to consider how they want to do that, um, because uh, we'll get into it a little bit later. But I downloaded one of the music packs, uh, DLC packs, and it was quite large.
0: I'll bet, uh, but the music in the game, and this is just foreshadowing here, in my opinion, was really well done. I'm. Didn't find any track that I maybe want to turn down or turn off the volume. Right. Alright, so three additional characters can be unlocked by beating the game under certain conditions, and additional DLC characters can be purchased as well. There are also alternate co- DLC outfits or costumes that can be purchased for in game characters, as well as alternate soundtracks, some of which are composed by music luminaries such as Mishiru Yamane and Shinji Hozoe. Please forgive me if I butchered those. <clears throat> so, let's go into a little bit about the plot in, for this game, as we all know that shooting game stories are some of the best. <laughs> it's been months since the Gopher Sisters invasion. It's been a time of tranquility. Though several new members have joined the secret interdimensional, excuse me, interdimensional antibacterian organization, G. However, during that time, a powerful dark force from deep space was preparing for an assault on Earth. Now the War of Angels is beginning again. (laughs) You know, it it, it sort of reads like a uh, story from Thunder Force, right?
1: Yeah, and, and this is the plot synopsis that's taken from the manual in the English release. I did see on uh, several wiki pages there was another plot synopsis that was a little bit longer and basically told the same thing with a little bit more detail, but the English was very broken. So I'm not sure if that synopsis was from the Japanese manual and then just translated, and then what we got with the English release was... Different from that, but, uh, yeah, th- this, this read a little bit easier than what I saw elsewhere online.
0: Well, nope. I mean, it's, it sets, sets the stage for you to pew pew. So Works pretty much. Me. All right. You want to fill us in on a little bit of the gameplay?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So game, the game controls, uh, with, uh, you can use either the D pad or the analog stick on a standard 360 pad. Uh, I, of course, was using the, uh, the new joystick that I bought toward the end of last year, um, which was the Mayflash F500 Elite. I had a little bit of a problem getting that hooked up and actually interfacing with my 360 um, until I bought a, an actual wired 360 controller, but then it worked fine. The A button fires both primary and secondary weapons, And so that'll fire your main cannon and then also uh, any kind of missile weapon that you have at the same time. And it does have auto fire, so you can hold the button down and continue to fire. The X uh, X button activates the highlighted item on the Gradius style power up bar. And then the Y button activates the burst special weapon, which has a limited stock. And I want to say you start with three of those. Either two or three of those when you when you start up the game. Now here's the part that threw me. Uh, if you hold the Y button down instead of just pressing it to, to fire a burst, there's a meter that sits above your Gradius-style power bar that will fill up. And once that meter is filled up or uh, once that meter is full, you can release the Y button and it will do what's called a Platonic break. It's mentioned in the manual, uh, but literally the, the manual that comes with the game is the game manual in English, and then the same stuff in French and Spanish. And it's literally just that plot synopsis, and then explaining the game controls, and then the different modes, and that's it. So, on page two of the manual, it shows here at the top right... ...of this, uh, this diagram, Y-button, hold, platonic break. That's literally all it says. So I didn't realize that this was a thing. I did it accidentally once while I was uh, streaming the game and playing during the course of the month... ...and I couldn't figure out what I had done. Now, having gone back and after doing a little bit more reading about it online... And I messed around with it uh, early this afternoon just so I could get a feel for what this mechanic was. Needless to say, I made the game harder than it needed to be because I was not using this technique (laughs) because I didn't realize that it was a thing. Um, So, yes, it is something that you want to do often. The the one caveat to using it is while you're holding the Y button down to charge the the platonic break attack, you cannot fire your other weapons. But when there are short lulls in the action, as there are from time to time, it's an easy opportunity to press and hold that button and charge that up for, for that platonic break attack. Now, keep in mind, each character has their own unique platonic break, so... In addition to finding a character that fits your play style and has the weapon loadout that you want, if you'd rather play with a default rather than customizing, uh, that their platonic break attack is going to be unique to them as well. Uh, did you know about or use the platonic break at all?
0: I didn't on there because I <laughs> I didn't read the manual. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like we're just going to get closer to like a, a golden rule for this podcast. What we learn, what did we learn from Crimson Clover? Always be breaking. I, you can say the same rule applies here, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the platonic break is a a helpful technique. So I would say, you know, don't do it all the time because you're vulnerable while you're charging. <laughs> but certainly it's... It's worth uh, utilizing, uh, especially at, in boss fights.
0: Oh yeah, the, you're talking about with the big, the big, extra big core, and I'm trying to get around the initial part there. And oh, um, when you're dealing with the boss rush, right as you're getting to, uh, right before Dark Force.
1: Right, just by way of example, uh, deal twee. Uh, Her character, and we'll get into the character differences later and so forth, but her character, her uh, platonic break is this really cool looking deal that almost looks like three robotic scorpion tails. One that comes out from the underside of her ship, one that comes out from the top, and then one that shoots straight out from the, the center. And it creates this sort of, you know, really quick piercing attack and... Something like that would be great against some of the some of the bosses that have very narrow areas to fire into to break down the barriers so that you can actually reach the core. Uh, yeah. And so those yeah, those platonic breaks would, yeah, I mean they will really help uh, in in regards to that, and also for some of the bosses that are a little bit harder to take down and often time out, they're going to be indispensable for that.
0: Right, I think I think what what you're, you're getting at here is if you're playing with DL when you're playing with the, or if you're just playing in general with the Gravity Laser, and you're trying to get some of those areas that we've better suited for the Twin Laser, you can use that break to make up for the the smaller area and hitting that quicker and, and hit hit the weak point for massive damage.
1: Yes, because the platonic brakes do a lot of damage.
0: Right. It's you're basically it's it's if the uh, twin laser is akin to a machine gun and the gravity laser is akin to a rocket launcher, this would be like a sniper shot that you can fire.
1: <laughs> yeah, rocket launcher.
0: Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this, but this this would allow you to do get in there real quick in, in a single spot and do a lot of damage. I, I have seen a couple of replays where people use it to, to great effect against the the core boss or the boss rush right before dark force.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned the big core, you know, when you fight the old big core at the end of stage three. Yeah. My, my, um, my strategy was always use a burst so that I had invincibility frames to go through the, gun placement that tracks your movement and get behind it and then just sit there and fire away at the core and hope that I don't run out of shield before, um, you know, before, uh, I take it down. So with something like that, you would, it would be much easier to actually take that down without having to use a burst, um, or at least providing an alternative strategy that you could use.
0: Yeah, I did the same thing with the big core. You use the invincibility frames to get in front of it, and then you just shoot on it. Because they're just going to fire a single shot after a little bit of time. There's really nothing that can get you there. As long as you keep moving up and down to avoid those single shots, you're fine.
1: Right. Now, as you play, you collect various weapon cards. And these unlock different weapon options that you can select for your character, as well as the ability to temporarily power up your weapon choice a second or third time for added damage, rate of fire, etc. Now, level two and three weapons, when they're once you have them unlocked, they can be set as the default for a character, uh, but that only lasts for about 60 seconds, and then it reverts back to level one until you lose a life. Uh, and not every weapon card will be available for every character. And so, for example, there are a couple of weapons, uh, a couple of laser weapons, for example, that uh, were not available for more than one or two characters. Or um, one of the options that is in the standard loadout for uh, a particular character is a sort of three-way... Uh, Short range dagger throw thing, and you can equip that on some of the other characters, but that's not available to all of them, and so
0: yeah, things like that. Is a, this is the part of the game where it really could have shined. The idea was sound, the execution was terrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was gonna say, yeah, uh, people grind in shoot 'em ups, and it's not the same as role-playing games they grind so that they can learn a level they can route it properly they can get through they can do no miss no bomb those kinds of things uh but to be able to have a little bit more of a uh i'm not going to say instant gratification but certainly uh, a drip feed of rewards along the way for playing and grinding and defeating enemies and defeating bosses and trying the other characters and things like that to be drip-fed additional weapon choices or weapon upgrades and things, yeah, it's a great idea, and they really could have built something cool around that system. But then when you find out that your your upgraded laser only lasts you 60 seconds, well, then that means that you're scurrying around the screen to grab additional power-up icons when they come along in order to keep powering it up and keep powering it up and keep powering it up and then hope that you're not losing your shield in the process. And one of the things that I noticed when I was playing is that the higher your difficulty level is, the more power up, uh, chips that you can get. So obviously you're going to have to play at a higher difficulty in order to get enough to continually keep your weapon level at more than just the default level one. So it's a little bit self-defeating in that sense.
0: Yeah, I ran into the problem where I just ignored it after I found that they had the timer in there for level 2 and just got all my power-ups, all my options, the missiles and everything I needed. And then it was just a game of making sure that my shield was always in play. And then I ended up having to avoid all the power-ups, which became really annoying because you'd always... get real close to enemy and you accidentally hit that power-up and it reset it back to speed and then after that you get a shot or two in and then your shield will go and then you lose your run
1: yeah i feel like in order to one of the one of the strategies in the gradius series is power up your ship to the max or depending on which game in this series you're playing, power it up to where you've got maybe three options instead of four so that you're not triggering the uh, option hunter or not as much. Uh, And then keep your power bar sitting at the shield uh, entry so that when your shield goes, you can reactivate it and then start collecting power-ups again. This game does something a little bit different uh, because not only does it actually give you points for those, those chips, uh, unlike previous games in the Gradius series, but then it also gives you this weapon upgrade, um, this weapon upgrade power capability. And so those two things should incentivize you to collect more, uh, and, you know, maximize that. But it's just, it's just not elegant enough to really make it work
0: yeah I think I think we both agree good idea, bad implementation, and had it been done right, it w- could have been really fun and fresh to do multiple playthroughs and could have also been a little bit let's say for your idea earlier for a game that the more you uh, <clears throat> recognize that the more that you play it or the better the, that you play is, the game gets easier. You can see a little bit of that in in the system they were trying to implement here.
1: Yeah, I just don't think it's fleshed out enough or that there's enough push-pull with it. So, anyway, that's that's my two cents. Now, there is a a rank system in the game that appears to activate when you have a shield. Uh, So, for instance, when I was fighting the Gopher Sisters... In, which is the mid-boss encounter in Stage 2, if you have a shield, the bullet spread that they shoot out, uh, they do like a three-volley bullet spread, it'll be much larger and have more bullets. Whereas if you don't have the shield, then it's a smaller spread that's further spread out, and it's maybe only five bullets or something like that. Um, I, I I wasn't able to determine if there are other things that play into the ranking system, but uh but that stood out as as being a thing where when you fight a particular boss or in particular situations the game gets harder when when you have a shield and so i thought that was interesting
0: yeah, for me the game got really hard because of one overlooked thing and this has plagued other games that we had played earlier, you know, like going back to Ghostblade with the pink bullet that was almost the same as the background, is if you're going to have a game, make sure that the bullets are identifiable. Having sort of yellow cannish color bullets can make it extremely hard to see.
1: Yes. And uh, I will be definitely highlighting that. A little bit later when we talk about the graphics.
0: Mm. Sounds good.
1: Uh, So let's jump into the uh, characters. Uh, There are several characters that come pre-unlocked or available to choose right from the get-go. And so returning from the first game are Aoba Anoa... Uh, she pilots the Vic Viper and is the main protagonist of the game. She's the one the most prominently featured on the cover of the U.S. release. Um, the Japanese release, Otomedius X, has her and uh, Tron next to each other. Um, but uh, she is considered the main character, if you will. And uh, she is a student at the St. Gradius High School. Or St. Gradius Academy, I should say. Uh, The aforementioned Erultron, or Erutron, as uh, the Japanese version uh, has her listed. She pilots the Lord British, and is uh, a student at the Academy as well, and is uh, apparently Aoba's best friend. Uh, D.L. Twi is uh, another returning character. Uh, She pilots the Serenity Viper. And uh, her character is inspired by the Konami arcade shoot 'em up Zexx. Hope I'm pronouncing that right.
0: That'll be uh, a fun I'm, one.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if anybody's ever uh, determined how to effectively pronounce that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've heard Zexx, uh, Zexex, many uh. different. <clears throat>
1: uh, I do believe that Tita Neum. Uh, which is basically just titanium split into two words, uh, is a returning character as well. Uh, She is a Bacterian defector and uh, attends the academy with the other girls. She pilots the Big Core Examiner, uh, which is a sort of a viper inspired by the Big Core ships uh, from the Bacterian uh, Empire. And I got to say, her ship does look pretty cool.
0: The options are really cool on that ship, too. They're little big cores.
1: <clears throat> yes. Yeah, those are fun. Madoka is the younger student in the group. Uh, her character and her craft, uh, known as the Murdoch Viper, are based around the Twinbee series. Uh, and she can equip up to three options, and those are actually Twinbee, Winbee, and Gwynby from that Twinbee series.
0: Yeah. And Madoka is the granddaughter of the main antagonist from the twin B series.
1: Ah, there you go. And, uh, and the, one of the cool things about her options is that they have some kind of homing capability. So, um, instead of missiles, her missile, uh, option that she gets is, uh, she will throw out fist punches like you do in twin B. And so those can home in on, on enemies uh and so that's a that's a really nice feature for her character makes certain parts of the game definitely a little easier uh then you've got arnval who is based around the buso Shinki line of mecha figures Uh, she pilots a ship called the anthurium and uh her character design is a bit more reserved than the rest of the cast and we can we can get into uh into that here in a little bit. Um, and then Geshi Hanafuma pilots, the axel Viper known as the Haruken and, uh, her default weapon set is loosely based on weapons from the game. Her character is based on Getsu Fumiden on the Famicom.
0: And she's got that sword attack too, that goes, uh, above and b- below the, for her special attack, I believe.
1: One of her laser types is the dagger, which is a short-range, uh, sort of dagger throw, but it shoots in front and above and below, and it's quite powerful.
0: Uh, just like the, spe- it's based upon the special attack and gets summoned. If I remember correctly.
1: Uh, oh, okay, interesting. So yeah, uh, definitely that connection with the game there. There are three characters you can unlock during the playing the game. Uh, you can unlock Ioba, a- Anoa, Hyper uh piloting the meta lion or metallion uh which you see in the game. Uh there's a, a spot where as you're approaching the area with the old big core you go to face a mid-boss and uh it is a uh big core Mark II style ship but when you try to shoot at it your weapons don't penetrate the hull nor do they uh nor do they do anything to the barriers. But just about a second or two after it shows up on the screen, there's a huge laser that comes in from behind and shoots that thing out of the sky. Uh, And so apparently when you get uh, Aoba Anoa Hyper, she's piloting that ship. Um, And in order to do that, you have to beat the story mode with Aoba Anoa on Expert Difficulty. If you beat the story mode with Tron on Expert, you will unlock Esmeralda, who pilots the Jade Knight. And then if you turn around and beat the game with Esmeralda on Expert difficulty, you'll unlock Poeni Kuhn, who pilots the Falchion beta, which is uh, based upon the, the Konami game Falchion, uh, which is like an old... Arcade and Famicom release, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes, the uh, Jade Knight, if I remember correctly, is based upon the, uh, gr- the green ship in, uh, whose name escapes me in Gradius Galaxies. Oh, I'm yes. sorry, Gra- Gradius Gaiden. My apologies. Gaiden, okay, when yeah. Appeared.
1: Yeah, and, and it's interesting that uh, Poini Kun is unlockable in this game because she was part of the cast of the first game, if I remember correctly from what I was reading.
0: And the fir- and the first game had Goemon, if I remember correctly, too, right? Onomi and She had Goemon, and it was the only male character.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, something like that. It was something Amon. Uh, so, yeah, it was based on uh, Ganbare Goemon, I believe.
0: Alright, now we're going to have to play the first series, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll both try and track down some Japanese Xbox 360s and then Odometius G.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then there are two DLC characters. Uh, there's Kokoro Belmont. She is a obviously non canon Castlevania inspired character. Uh, she pilots the Stavros, and her default weapon loadout is inspired by the Castlevania series. Uh, Her primary laser is the beam whip, which behaves similar to the plasma laser in Raiden 3. So when you move her ship up and down on the screen, the laser kind of whips back and forth and covers a wider area. Her bombs are jars of holy water, which I think is hilarious. And her double weapon is the arching axe, much like you have from the classic Castlevania games. Uh, Her other laser choice is the boomerang cross, which just like in the Castlevania games, you shoot one at a time and then it does whip around and come back to the ship, Uh, which is, (coughs) excuse me, which is powerful, but um, not something you want to use for popcorn enemies because you will get overwhelmed quickly. And I know because I actually bought the Kokoro Belmont DLC to play around with it. The character that I did not play around, or that I did not purchase, was Strarf. She is also, like Arnval, based on the Busoshinki mecha figure line, and she pilots a ship called the Alpinia, which uh, is uh, one of the selectable ships in Konami's Solar Assault arcade game, uh, which sort of took the Gradius formula into uh, 3D, but is not canon as a Gradius sequel. What did you? How many of the characters did you try
0: out? I tried out all of the main ones. I didn't try out any of the DLC ones.
1: Mm. Did you end up unlocking anything?
0: I did not unlock anything ex- except for uh, inner frustration. I'm so <laughs> <balls. laughs> <laughs> But I did. Those bullets just—oh my gosh, uh, nothing. Uh, it's like a pet peeve of mine. Nothing infuriates me more than bullets that I can't see because they blend so well into the other graphics of the game. Right. But that's why I'm all. I mean, look at Last Hope. That's why they made the Last Hope pink bullets. Or if you're playing like a cave game, it may be bright pink and bright blue, but you can at least tell where the bullets are coming from.
1: Yeah. I tried all the different characters. I I liked the design, <clears throat> excuse me, of the Lord British. So at first I was playing as Errol Tron most of the way. Then I tried out D'El Tui. Uh, then I tried out uh, Tita Nium and Arnval a little bit, Madoka a little bit. I tried Geshe a little bit. Then I circled back and played a whole bunch with Madoka because of her Punch, which was powerful, and the homing uh, twin beat options. Uh, but then at the end of the month, I settled back on DL Twee because her options you can actually hold in position. And so, un- unlike the regular following options, you know, hers will follow her around when you're not firing. But then, as soon as you press and hold the fire button, they're going to stay in place. And so there are, there are several situations where that is, uh, I'm not going to say vital, but certainly very helpful in defeating bosses and also clearing pathways. So that was, uh, DL2E was the character that I ultimately settled upon and the one that I used to beat the game.
0: Yeah, option locking is very, very useful in this game. Especially if you have got have the uh, Gravity bomba type uh, right. laser <laughs> and you're using that to get in there i know that you mentioned before we were dealing with the uh, limit break or uh, <clears throat> to get inside there but just planting a couple of your options directly inside the core and then quickly firing away was a really good way to destroy a lot of those bosses that would normally take forever to deal with it when you don't have the twin laser
1: yeah, and I mean when you when you watch advanced Gradius players in the ver- in the different games in the series when they're playing through their routing includes a lot of option placement um, especially because for a lot of those games the default options is the standard kind that just sort of follows you so you have to move into an area and then move away from it. So that the options will kind of go up into where you were. And that way, as you cruise along the screen, they can be there to either get through the wall or get something on the other side of a wall or get something that's going to be above you and be a threat. As soon as you cross that threshold, you know, that kind of a thing with, with DL Twee's configurable options where you can uh, set them at a particular position, then that kind of takes that out of the equation and you can, you can be a little bit more direct about it, I guess.
0: Yeah. And you can pinpoint where you want your shots to go and with more direction than you normally get out of there. And we experimented with this earlier in the year in May with Gradius three. And several people were like, Oh no, this option is circling option versus the options that follow. And then there was a spread like a, it, it almost like a wingspan spread. Do you remember that, where they were spread out of the Vic Viper? Yes. And that was pretty popular. And it was nice to see people trying out all these different ways to play the game. And I, I think that the characters are diverse enough where they give you different play styles. But the, again, with the weapon system being as broken as it is, you just sort of gravitate to... You ones that work well for you. And it doesn't really encourage experimentation as much as it could have.
1: Yeah. I think when I was trying out the, the platonic breaks today, I think I could say that now that I know about that mechanic, there are certain spots in the game where a particular character is not good uh, or is not, has, has not been good for my playthroughs because of certain weaknesses that they have. And, and those platonic breaks could offer uh, a way for those characters to possibly be better with uh, within the game. But I do think that D'Oltwi and Madoka in particular, um, depending on your loadout, certainly have perhaps the, the highest... Um, Opportunity
0: for scoring. Yeah. I, I would agree on that. the The game gives you. Uh, well. I would say in general. The game needs to be better balanced. And these characters. Are made. So that. W- with the option locking. With Twee or the. Uh, Madoka's. Options that actually. Just sort of home in and seek out. Make it real easy to use, fire and forget. Most part, the uh, one of the other characters that I spent a lot of time with was Tita Neum. Mm-hmm. just because of the she's so different than some of the other characters and just gives wacky things, such as in the first stage with the c- cat Parodius boss, she says, "Oh, a cat! I wish I could take it home as a pet," <laughs> and, just, and just sort of nonsense stuff that comes out of there. It's great to see. The Alpha's not taking themselves so seriously and just going off in sort of wacky directions, and that's the type of humor that I wish this game had more of—more of the wackiness of the Proteus and, and a little bit, a little bit less of the moaness. Right. It, it feel <clears throat> if the gameplay loop was better, a lot of the aesthetics in the game wouldn't be as bothersome. But because it's so unbalanced, it just sort of brings everything. And in many ways, you can look at it sort of like a fighting game, an unbalanced fighting game. If everyone's going to pick the same three overpowered characters, the game's no fun. Right. Or not as fun as it should be.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good way to good way to put it, I think. Now, just briefly to go cover the bosses in the game. Uh, stage one boss is Nico Sencho who's based on the cat battleship from the Parodius series. Then in stage two, you have TB Rika, who is based on Chichibinta Rika from Parodius. Uh, That is the, uh, the belly dancer.
0: Uh, TB Rika is based upon, yes, is based upon the belly dancer, but it's also based upon the spider enemies that you see at the end of uh, Gradius three. Yes. So it is sort of just like crab walking, a crab walking and giant (laughs) crab. Why do all these paths lead back to giant enemy crabs?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And I'm not sure. I I don't know that it's a very, I I think the connection is tenuous. Um, but apparently TB Rika was a teacher at St. Gradius Academy, uh, but is a spy. Um, Stage 3's boss is Ryokutsu- Ryou- Ryukotsuki, uh, who's based on Ryukoki from Getsufumiden, so there's another connection with that game. Uh, stage 4 is Shiori Fujisaki, uh, whether that's the connection to Tokimeki Memorial. Stage 5, Ruby and Cobalt are based on Hikaru and Akane from Parodius. You also see, of course, the Gopher Sisters make a couple of appearances. They were um, kind of main antagonists in the first game, and they come back in the second game, but you can't actually beat the Gopher Sisters. They're big core with the arms, which is similar to uh, something from the Salamander uh, and Life Force. Uh, you can destroy some of the barriers, but you can't actually get to the core. And then you face off against Dark Force, who is based on the dark force element that the bacterian called upon in Gradius three and dark force comes in two forms. Uh, one where, uh, well, okay. So I'm getting ahead of myself. There's a boss rush after, after, um, the level with, or in the level with Hikaru and Akane, and then after that, basically or or prior to that, in the story mode of the game, you, you find out that essentially Dark Force, the enemy that you're you're ultimately fighting, is too powerful in the current timeline. And so you have to go back in time in order to fight Dark Force before it became too powerful.
0: You get your ship up to eighty-eight miles per hour, and then you go back in time and get everything done. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, um, and so you have to go and go back in time and then go fight dark force in its larval stage, which looks like a little girl with, um, wings and I don't know, this weird outfit.
0: She's sitting on the Dracula's throne, right?
1: Something like that. Yeah. The, the, the building that you fly through after you f- go through the stage, that, um, leads you up to her, you know, you kind of fight this, this, uh, mid boss thing that is sort of this installation with these different cannons on it. And then a core that you have to take out. And once you do that and pass through its remains, essentially, then you pass through something that would, looks like it's straight out of Castlevania and, um, yeah, looks like maybe Dracula's throne that she's on there.
0: Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed that she didn't end up saying, what is a woman a Miserable of Secrets?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Something like that. Uh, What is a (laughs) Bacterian? But uh, she gets up off the throne and sort of transforms into a ship similar to what you are, or what you pilot, and she attacks you with several different attack types, and... Once you've damaged that form enough, then it flies away. And then you go on to face uh, Dark Force Phase 2, which is a giant mech that has multiple attack types. And if you manage to take out Dark Force on a single credit without continuing, then you get to to fight Dark Force Phase 3, which is essentially a short stage that allows you to get some power-ups and then very easily take out dark force a third time kind of as a final fight against dark force, but the actual final fight against phase three dark force is somewhat anticlimactic because it's a, it's a little bit, um, well, it's a lot easier than, than the first form or the second form. Then there are also, uh, some DLC bosses. You can, you can download some additional levels to play through, and so, one of those is uh, Konami Lady from uh, Konami YY World. There's Amon 8, who is based on Yai from Ganbarigo Go uh who is, I think, somehow related to Emon 5, who was in the first game. And then you can also fight against Pastel from Twinbee in another DLC pack. So, lots to do.
0: And there is. <clears throat> and there's lots to see as well. Let's take a look at the graphics. The graphics are very colorful and varied, though the combination of anim- the anime aesthetic and 3D environments eh, it doesn't always mesh as well. Right. The anime intro and anime style segments throughout the game look nice and are well animated. This is done by Mine Yoshizaki. At times, uh, well, as we mentioned before earlier, at times enemy fire can be hard to pick out depending upon the scenery. The stage one boss fight, particularly with homing lasers that are roughly the same light blue color as the sky, makes it uh, infuriating. Yeah, unless you have the uh, gravity bomba laser. In that case, you can just. Uh, Shove, that, shove those options in fire away at the laser and the boss is down in less than five seconds.
1: Yeah. The, the With the stage one boss, the name of the game is either either get to the core and destroy it before it has a chance to fire those lasers or learn the timing so you can dodge it and not have to worry about watching for it.
0: Yeah. The stage one boss is a technical marvel with the way it, uh, you can see the reflection in there, but it, And it was done to say, hey, look what we can do. But at the same time, it starts making the 360 chug. And that's one of the areas where I did notice a lot of slowdown.
1: Yeah, Uh, I noticed that too. And it doesn't matter whether you're you're firing your weapons or not. When the boss comes on the screen and does it sort of jump out of the clouds, it does slow way down for a, a brief moment. And then it's fine, but it must be something about that animation of it coming up out of the clouds and the sort of clouds dissipating off the boss, off of that mirrored surface. And that effect must be taxing the 360 quite a bit.
0: I mean, it's still neat. And the first time you see it, you're like, oh, this is very cool to look at. Because most of the other stuff on there, the models are pretty simplistic for... The stuff that you'll see, such as like that ship in the background or some stuff flying through. As mentioned before, there's a little bit of a disconnect between the anime style and the 3D render graphics. Me, personally, I would have preferred more of a cells shaded look throughout. You get a little bit of that when you see the your character zoom in on screen. I wish mm-hmm. they would have kept with all of that for all the enemies. That would have been really nice to see. But I can understand that this is a game that is not built upon a pachinko-sized budget. Right. So, you gotta cut somewhere.
1: Right. And one thing that is, that we should mention is the, the first game, the original arcade game, had very static backgrounds from everything that I've read. So the fact that this game has more animated and active backgrounds is an improvement over that. It's just that yeah, there are times when the backgrounds themselves can be slightly distracting, or that because of the laser and or bullet colors blending in with the background, it becomes a bit of an issue when you're trying to actually see what it is that is gunning for you, so to speak.
0: Yeah, were there any spots in particular that you noticed some of the blend, the bullet blend?
1: Well, the stage one laser for sure. Uh, stage three, there are some spots when you kind of go into that sort of underground cavern area where the more yellow and orangey bullets start to not necessarily blend with the more kind of orangish red background. But certainly you have to be a little bit more mindful of them. Because there's a lot going on in that area, it's cramped, and so with all the bullets coming, you you have to make sure that you're watching that they're not f- blending in, or you know that that was another area, particularly that I noticed the blend.
0: Yeah, I, I could definitely agree with that. Some of the times I noticed that I, if there was a single bullet or there wasn't a lot of bullets on screen with the stage intros. They could sort of blend in because you're so focused on defeating the popcorn enemies. The green mm. with the gold or the doesn't exactly stand out. So if right. there's not a lot of them on the screen, you just sort of go, what the heck hit me? I know that happened to you a couple times.
1: For sure, yeah. There were a few times during the game when, when I was playing and streaming that I did not know what had killed me.
0: <laughs> and nothing like that to infuriate you on there no matter yeah. what the game is. Yeah. The one thing I want to bring up with this game is as much as the environments are are pretty well done and keep it going, they're very safe. And all of the environments, you can pick from pretty much a your grad. Well, I think back in the Gradius series, I think back at some of the cool stuff. I mean, Gradius Gaiden is one of my favorites... And it does the unexpected with the snow that's coming through there. So this is just sort of like, okay, we need an ice level, we need a plant level, we need a fire level, we need an earth level. It's very by the numbers when it comes to that. And I just would prefer to see something a little bit with a little bit more variety. I don't say that we want to go Mister Goodbody with uh, like the Salamander series, but something <laughs> other than just the um, Excuse me, slim good Buddy. something like the Solomon series, but something a little bit uh, different than you know, space armada or space battle. We've got your Earth stage, your fire stage. A little bit more variety here would have been nice, and then maybe it's just due to budgetary constraints. I
1: don't know. the The one thing I'll say is there were at least in on the Earth stage, there were a couple of nice nods like Contra Burger being one of the uh, business establishments that you see as you're flying down the street, taking out enemies. But yeah, I would agree. I mean, when you've got a series with the pedigree of Parodius and you're taking the Gradius formula and doing something interesting with it or trying to do something interesting with it, um, that's not a mainline game. Parodius is the obvious place to pull from. And there's so much zaniness and wackiness in the parodious games that yeah i think this even though the environments generally look good they kind of fall short because they're they're just sort of plain
0: and the other thing with this that so interesting is you know, speaking of earth the uh, saint gradius academy i believe is on planet earth and the bacterians are coming so the, all of these girls are trying to fight off the bacterians and defend the earth. Right. Which is diff, different a little bit different, but it's and, and the Contra Burger is a nice touch. I'm trying to think of, there's there was the um, the main bad guy um, Go, I can't remember if his name is Gopher. The green oh. alien at the very beginning, who's there just for a short bit. Right. Who, who's leading the fleet. Who was the main antagonist of uh, Gradius II. And, there, and what was the, the, of course, the catjet from Parodius was on there. We talked about some of the other bosses that were in there. Did you notice anything in the background, aside from the Contraburger, that caught your eye?
1: Nothing in particular, no. And so that's why I think there's a lot of wasted potential or a lot of missed opportunities I guess
0: <clears throat> yeah I remember I mean, looking back at the proteus series again with the uh, lethal enforcers speed trap which you didn't get with it I mean it was it was just regular speed trap in here akin to the one that was in Gradius three or right. at least the uh, famicom the super famicom version I mean it would it would have been nice to see as you mentioned a little bit more parody to give it a little bit more variety.
1: Yeah, I mean I think Konami I think they put a little bit too much um a little bit too much emphasis on the otome and forgot that they had this whole thing called parodius that they could pull from and kind of blend the two together and it just doesn't quite work. I mean we're not necessarily looking for sexy Parodius too. Um well some people are, but but it would have been nice if there would have if they would have at least kinda had that element of lightheartedness and and uh some of that wackiness in in the game.
0: Yeah, it's a missed opportunity for sure now I, I have to say though know, despite some of the clashes with the 3d elements versus the cell shaded characters it does have some nice effects there's some pretty cool explosions and background animation details right i I didn't find anything that was really offensive to my eyes or like what the heck is that it looks like a garbled mess I mean it it didn't nothing and it sort of screamed early 3D polygons that made everything bad. Everything was serviceable and did a good job. It was, for the most part, everything was well animated. It's, and I I think, again, this echoes in the statement of the game. The game, it's not terrible. It's not great. It's in the middle. But you see, with just a little bit more time, maybe a little bit bigger budget, where it could be great. But because you can see the cracks in the foundation it just sort of gets a little bit disappointing overall.
1: Right. Well, let's talk about the sound because there's an, that's an area where I think it can make back a little bit of ground. Uh, I do think it has a solid soundtrack and some catchy tunes. Uh, I know maybe it's because I heard it a ton, but this, the little ditty that plays when you're loading up the game is very catchy and will probably be stuck in my head for weeks. Uh, uh, and some of the tunes you'll, you know, if you've played the Gradius series or other Konami games, some of the other songs you'll recognize from the bass soundtrack. Now, when I downloaded Kokoro Belmont, I did grab, I did pay for the the soundtrack that goes with her character as well and listen to that. And that's got some kind of vague, uh, Castlevania-esque vibe to it. It's a little bit different, it doesn't quite have as much Castlevania as I would have liked, but I understand that they're trying to still sort of fit the the theme and aesthetic of the game. Uh, but overall it was good. I mean there are arrangements by Michiru Yamane, so you know they can't be they can't be stinkers, or at least I don't think they could be. And I've listened to some of the other uh, some of the other arrangements and, and there are some good ones in there. What I will say is having heard a lot of the music from The first Otomedius game, uh, because the art book that comes in the special edition has a bonus CD that comes with it, and that bonus CD, almost all the tracks are taken from, uh, in fact, I think all the tracks are taken from Otomedius G or Otomedius Gorgeous, except for the last two, which is Fly, the opening theme that you see when you fire up the game and and see the anime intro. And then the closing theme called Automatic, uh, which is your credit roll music. Otherwise, everything is from the Automatic's G soundtrack. And so, well before I actually played this game, I was spinning this uh, CD soundtrack in my car quite a bit and really got addicted to the soundtrack. And so I really... Uh, I really actually think that the first game might have the better soundtrack, but overall I was, I was relatively pleased with what the game had to offer and, uh, you know, the music that was, that was included, generally speaking. I also think the sound effects are mostly good. There are a few grading, a few grading sound effects, like certain laser weapons hitting the, uh. Enemy holes and stuff like that, but you know, you get that in almost every shooting game of this type. There are additional soundtracks you can purchase, like I said, the Kokoro Belmont one that I purchased. There's a, a separate star, uh, soundtrack for Straf. and then I do believe there are three or four additional soundtracks that are specific to different characters um, that, you know, give the the game a different vibe. So there's quite a bit of DLC you can purchase. I mean when I was looking at it online the other day, uh you could purchase the whole game from Microsoft's digital store, you know, the base game for 30 bucks. And then each of the two DLC characters are five dollars or four ninety nine. And then the DLC soundtracks are all $549. And then if you want to buy the additional outfits for the different characters, those are either a dollar forty-nine or a dollar ninety-nine. I don't remember which, uh, but yeah, uh, there's you can drop a lot of money in this game if uh, if you want to go all the way with it and you know see everything. the The interesting thing is I mentioned before the the opening theme, fly, and then automatic, which which closes out the game during the credits. Those were actually sung by the voice cast, um, who did the voices in the game. And I think the voices, the voice work was relatively well done. Uh, obviously like a lot of anime and, and stuff done in this style, it's very, very, uh, over the top and it's all very melodramatic, but I think that works for the style and it does give, give the game a little bit more personality. Um, where it might otherwise have been lacking due to, you know, as we've discussed the, the graphics being a little flat or not having a cell shaded style or something that had a little bit more personality, not having the kind of zaniness or wackiness that we might've wanted to see because of the, the, per, the parodious pedigree. Uh, and so it, it definitely helps to give the game a little bit more, a little bit more personality and make it, uh, just improve it in some ways. Uh, What was your overall impression and take on the the sound and music?
0: Yeah, I I think that the game gets extra points for having a solid soundtrack and none of the voices made me want to uh, put in earplugs or turn off the voices entirely. Everything was really well mixed and, well, I didn't find myself humming any of the tunes but they d- definitely fit the stages and worked well i didn't quite notice any of the su- the uh, the offbeat uh, sound effects that you had mentioned but uh, that could just that could just be my <laughs> aging ears here huh. <laughs> i i definitely Thought that the voice the voice cast did a good job. Everything was well acted and met up to anime standards. I, I guess the biggest praise I can give regarding the audio is that I I didn't notice any issues and it, everything just seemed to flow nicely regarding that aspect. Right. I would like to listen to some of the additional tracks at a time here, but I don't want to go uh, full EA on this game.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and, and honestly, you know, you can check those out on YouTube and then make the decision for yourself if uh, if you like any of the alternate soundtracks enough to want to spend the five and a half bucks.
0: Let's move on to Scoring. The scoring is fairly simple, with the biggest scoring bonuses coming from defeating bosses, rather than letting them time out. I thought that was sort of a unique and fun aspect on here. They, were, the top, what that is regarding the boss timeout. The bosses weren't as uh, unique as, say, an Einhander with the timeouts, but it was still something that I hadn't seen before in the Gratis. I don't, did you remember ever seeing something in Gradius 1, 2, 3, or 4 with timeouts?
1: Hmm, not that I can think of. Yeah, not that I can think of.
0: Yeah, the the first time I've I've ever encountered a boss timeout was with Einhanda. Yeah. I can't think of anything before that.
1: Yeah, I know there are other games that have done it in the past. I just can't, I can't think of anything in the Gradius series.
0: Each end level has a bonus for no miss, as well as any burst weapon stock you have, and the number of power up chips collected. Unlike previous Gradius games, power up chips award points based upon pickup, so, uh, well, that's a factor. There are also element jewels, which are similar to medals in other games. They start with a creamy blue center. As you collect them, turn green, then red, then purple. If you fail to collect more than one as it leaves off screen, your element level jewel will decrease. The higher the level of the jewel, the more points it awards upon pickup. There's also an end level bonus for the number collected. Each stage is also ranked according to your performance with the standard F through A and the S rank being the top. For the most part, unless the boss timed out, it was pretty easy to get the either the A or the S rank and more often than not the S rank. Did you find that as well?
1: Yeah. Although there were a couple of situations where I beat a boss and was fairly certain. I, I had a no miss during the level and I still managed to not get the S rank. So I I don't know exactly what goes into that. Um, But that was something that I thought was odd. Now, the one thing I'll say about the boss timeout is it's both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing from the standpoint that some of the characters and some of the weapons, because of either the way their options work or the way their weapons work or depending on which weapon you have, uh, some of the weapons are too big to penetrate the small area that you need to get to in order to either hit the core or to break down the barriers in order to hit the core. So in that sense, it's a good thing that the bosses can time out so that you're not just stuck there or have to, you know, kill off your character so that you can go back to the default shot. So you have something that's small enough to get through those areas, but it's a curse of course, because then uh, from a scoring perspective, you're out those points. If you chose a weapon loadout or a character, or whatever, that can't actually do the job and get that done. Now, I will say, now that I'm more enlightened about the platonic breaks, that may mitigate that somewhat, and make some of those bosses easier to defeat, so that you don't have to time them out. But certainly, it, it probably is good that they did it that way, but I, I just wish that more of the weapons would be... Better suited for taking out bosses.
0: Yeah, it does seem that you're sort of relegated to either the gravity bomb and laser or the twin laser. And each one of those has their own uses. But with the tweedle D, uh, excuse me, uh, tweedle D, <laughs> not twiddle D D, D, I ran into some issues w- with her in trying to destroy some of those areas with the cores, especially with, with the smaller shots. And you really had to line those up perfectly in order to destroy those because you had w- one little shot. And then of course the area of effect with the gravity laser.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and the gravity laser, it's so thick that it can't always get into those more narrow areas. And so, yeah, with, with D.L. Twee, you can use her positional options to actually forcibly get those in there so that they do damage. But with some of the other characters, if you choose that as your loadout, you're not going to make it. You're going to have to rely on the platonic break or possibly a burst or just time it out and survive.
0: The other part of this that I want to go over is the power-up chips. And At first, I thought that they were giving me the weapons that were given on there for unlocking the weapons. Did you figure out how the weapons unlocked? Like the level one, level two.
1: Yeah. Well, as you're playing the game, you'll notice that as you're defeating enemies and certain things, you'll sometimes will see what looks like a tiny little sort of shooting star or laser kind of thing, shoot up towards your character. And that's when you've defeated a certain enemy, a number of times or, You've used a certain character to defeat a certain enemy, and there you're collecting these weapon cards. And it's just sort of an automatic process based on what you do throughout the game and uh, through multiple playthroughs. And so that's part of the grinding aspect that we mentioned earlier, is just collecting weapon cards over time by playing the game with different characters, getting further and defeating certain enemies and things like that. And so that's how those things unlock.
0: Okay, for some reason I thought they were tied to the medals that were in there. But if they're di- tried to you just playing it over and over again, it's uh, you—you'd have to get some sort of benefit out of that, which you're not going to get because their weapons—the timeout on those higher level weapons is so short compared to what you're going to spend on them that it's not worth it.
1: Yeah, and you can you can unlock different laser or missile or double types by getting weapon cards, things that are not available uh, at the start of the game when you first boot it up. So there is still some utility in grinding a little bit to get some of those things. But yeah, you know, getting getting the level two and level three stuff unlocked, the, the only utility to to unlocking and then setting those is then... When, when you die, for example, if you set, let's say, your laser or your missile to the higher level, then when you die and respawn, if you can manage to get enough power-up chips to get, say, a level three laser or a level three double or a level three missile, whatever the choice is, then you can maybe have a little bit better chance of surviving. But I would say it's negligible because... Gradius Syndrome is still alive and well in this game.
0: Oh, definitely. And there's a Space Armada ship. I noticed that for some reason the shield will be close to depletion whenever I start that stage. And if I, <clears throat> for some reason, missed a stray shot from a popcorn enemy, that, you know, those, the, um, I guess, they're not not really zubs, but the analogy would be a zub rush. Oh, that right. Come out. And if you aren't paying attention on there and you get taken out before you can repopulate your shield or don't notice it's down it's really hard to recover at least on that first part of that stage
1: yeah I've I've found almost anywhere that if you die I'm not going to say recovery is impossible but in many areas of the game it's very very difficult so uh, what I found is if I if I die in the first stage I might as well just quit and deal with the long load time and start over because A, I'm going to be off my rhythm, and then B, I don't want to deal with having to recover and then also having fewer lives to, you know, to get through the game. And so in stage one, uh, I just give up <laughs> if I if I lose a life.
0: Well, you might you might as well on that. In order to get yourself going, because you don't want to spend another twenty or thirty minutes on your run, and just to have <clears throat> that one stage that you lo- or one life that you lost in stage one end up being the determining factor, right? And regarding the the ranks system on there, I noticed that with the giant core, the giant old core, there if you bypass it with the break and get to the three uh, <clears throat> inner cores that your rank is almost always then guaranteed to be either an A or a B. You can't get S-rank by doing it that way.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. That's good to know.
0: Now, they, really, they really want you to shoot shoot that middle portion on there, which I did see someone do a uh, Tweedle, Tweedledee uh, run, and they were able to get the S-rank by shooting the, uh, I don't know what that Little barrier that protects everything else,
1: mm, right?
0: Something to keep an incentive for for uh, someone's going for a high score here,
1: right? Probably use the platonic break for that too.
0: Yes, the platonic break, and well, and the other part of that too is you can sit in the middle of it. If yes. You're going out, yeah. You just sort of sit there and hang out, and you just keep shooting it. And the only part you need to worry about is when the other parts. Fire those one-off shots at you and Then you can move around Right So, now that we've had Our say in the impressions of the game Let's talk about The impressions of people who played it with us yeah. Red McKnight says You even have to ask with me? Sign me up <laughs> Later post <laughs> Gather round everyone Almost time for what I now dub ScoreTech Waifu Wars Edition
1: yeah and unfortunately red didn't really offer any additional thoughts on the game during the month um this this was actually the one that he's been requesting since we started the Schmup club and you know i talked to him a little bit in the discord and he said he he wasn't happy with any of his scores so he never submitted any and i was a little disappointed by that because obviously you know even if you're not happy with the score at least put it out there and, uh, you know, show some competitive spirit and, and all of that. And it would have been nice to get some more of his, uh, thoughts on it because I've had conversations with him about it before and he's, he's mentioned it to me. And so I know he was excited to, to play this and he spent a bunch of time with it. And he's, he, I guess he beat it several times during the course of the month.
0: Well, congratulations on beating
1: it. I'm not sure how he wouldn't have had scores that would have been uh, sufficient, but anyway, we yeah we just don't know.
0: I, I would say, uh, you know, if your score is two, it's okay. Don't post it. But, but if you beat <laughs> the game several times, go ahead and post. Uh,
1: and so we also had Normatron, who I think was probably the most active participant during the course of the month. And so he posted and said, just played my first few runs of the game. And these are my first thoughts on this game. Bullets love to hide in the background. The hitbox seems bigger than most Gradius games, and don't get distracted. You know what I mean. He says, "Super fun to super fun get though. Glad I could dust it off again and play it for a while." And uh, before I move on to his next post, I we should touch on that because we haven't mentioned it so far. Um, but yes, the hit
0: the distraction or the hitbox.
1: Well, the hitbox. The, the distraction we can get to when we talk about Final Thoughts, because that's the that's the elephant in the room. But, yeah, the hitboxes are, are odd, and they're not very easy to determine. I know there's a way to go in during, I think, the practice mode or the easiest mode where it shows you what the hitbox area is. So that's a way that mode. you can learn it. But, yeah, during the main game, it's not really very evident what the hitbox is. So a lot of the difficulty I had with the game was just trying to figure out what was vulnerable and what wasn't. So that's definitely an issue. Later in the thread, he posted, The past few days I have been trying out all the characters and seeing what their pros and cons are. Kokoro Belmont, there are some interesting power-ups that are plainly made for her. She can use the beam whip and then have access to the holy water, axe, and the beam cross. The option that Kokoro uses is the Trigon. This option, you only get one, but with each upgrade it will start to shoot more powerful shots forward and backwards in whichever direction it is pointing. Though the Trigon sounds great, it forces you to move around to position it to shoot where you want it to. I would say don't use her unless you want to challenge yourself. And I will echo that somewhat. Uh, The Trigon... Uh, of course, is from another Konami arcade game of the same name, and uh, it it definitely, her playing as her is challenging, because you really want to get that Trigon powered up to level 3, and then you really have to work toward moving around in such a way that you can position that thing because it fires in two directions when it's on level 2 or 3. And level 3 gives you a twin laser that is similar to the one of the twin la- or the twin laser power up that you can you can choose uh, in your loadout, and so that can be very effective. But you also have to be real specific about how you use it. So that's uh, she's a tricky one to play with. Later in the thread, he says, "So, diol Twee, So far, my favorite character." Packing the twin lasers, my favorite weapon, and equipped, equipped with the very useful H-missile in my runs, and that is the homing missile. Uh, the option power is the flint. Uh, works work very similar to Aoba Anoa's options, with the added bonus of keeping the options in the formation you want them as long as you are shooting. They will follow you when not firing, just like standard options do. And then later on, he says, next up, Arnval. She is very straightforward on how she works. Using the formation options that sits two options on top and bottom of the ship. I use the single laser level two and two way missiles with her. With great control and medium span with weaponry, you can go far and not have to think too much on which way you are moving for maximum damage. After I use everyone else, I think this one may be my main person to use. So, Normatron definitely put a lot of time into the game during the course of the month and posted a lot of stuff in the thread. So, thank you, Normatron, for engaging with that, because uh, our participation wasn't as as good as I was hoping for uh, for the month of December. But I understand it's Christmas season, people are shopping, and lots of stuff to do, so... Uh, I was glad that we at least had some engagement.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that people uh, were able and willing to try something um, outside of the norm for this. Yes, if we wanted to get to I don't. <laughs> shall we talk about the elephant in the room at this point?
1: Well, let's it's, let's let's briefly mention the high scores. Okay. Uh, not I'm not tooting my own horn here, but. I'm the only one who submitted the, the, the really high score, and that's because I managed to get a clear of the game with D'Oltwi on expert mode. So I ended up with 2,991,200 points. And I think if I tightened up a little bit and maybe used the, uh, the platonic break a couple of times when I would otherwise have had trouble, um, I, I think I could probably hit 3 million. And then Normatron ended up with uh, 1,425,000 points on his highest submission.
0: There is one thing I don't think anyone did. Maybe you did, but did anybody try the Konami code?
1: I did not.
0: I didn't. (laughs) So it'll be something we got to try here.
1: Yeah, I I looked around to see if there were any cheats for the game, and I didn't find anything. Uh, Literally, the only thing I found was the information on which characters to beat the game with to unlock the unlockable characters.
0: And that's another thing that we probably should touch on real quick here is There's a lot of information on this about the different characters and some of the relationships and stuff, but there isn't as much information about this game as you might think. And I don't know if it's just because it is wasn't sold that well as sort of like the black sheep of the Gradius series. Maybe may the choice of the uh, the portman, portmanteau, as we talked about earlier. I'm not quite sure. It just not as popular.
1: Yeah. Well, I wonder if some of that has to do with the grindiness of the game. And someone, I was reading something the other day that said that One of the reasons that the game maybe didn't do as well is because there are so many characters unlocked at the beginning that you don't really have to work to unlock a whole lot. I mean, yeah, there are three additional characters to unlock, and then there are weapon cards to grind out, but I I could see if that's your interest in the game, that being a deterrent, because you've got all this choice at the beginning, and you don't have to work for much of it, but I kind of liked having the different characters to experiment with, and and, uh, you know, see which one fit my playstyle, or what their option and weapon loadouts did in terms of, you know, how that changed up how you have to approach different levels and things. So I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that necessarily.
0: I like having the characters unlocked as well for experimentation. Uh, Gradius Guy didn't want m- probably my favorite of the Gradius series. Gives you four different crafts to choose from, with all sorts of different, varying weapons, right at the start of the game. Right. So I don't think that that having a large character roster is against this. I, I would have to say that the aesthetics, and, and I get why they chose them. I mean, it, I'm looking at the two; it's a mid. Uh, in the oddies, is that what we're calling them? In the oddies, the 2005 or so uh, was the beginning of the mo. You know, we just we had the beginning of the young maiden in more of a turn towards <clears throat> flying lollies or, or flying young girls. I mean, if you look at the rise of Toho. You look at the rise of, of Cave. I mean, Cave's last shooter. Ketsui, where it was all militaristic dude bros, now is changed in Death Mouse to flying girls.
1: Right, and and that that is the elephant in the room. I mean, when you look at the when you look at the the setup for Oedipus the original, um, these are young girls in in school, you know, middle school, high school, and supposedly. The sequel takes place several years later, but they're all still part of the St. Gradius Academy. So I'm not sure what age these girls are supposed to be. That's a little concerning because of the art style of the game. You've got these, they're supposed to be high school girls, but they're...
0: They're drawn more like uh, those uh, World War II uh, pinup girls.
1: That's, that's a good way to put it. I mean, you know, think about, think about Jessica Rabbit as a high school girl, but more suggestive. And so it gets a little, as you mentioned before, a little creepy. And I mean, you know, I've got the, I've got the limited edition here, the special edition here, which I said comes with the art book. Now the artwork in the book is really well drawn and you know, has nice character art and stuff. And there's some cool nods to uh, older games that this game pulls from and references. But again, some of this artwork is just, you know, nothing is, nothing is, is terrible, but it's right at that line. And it's like, I don't know. I, it just is a little bit disconcerting. I'll say. It, it comes with a pillowcase that depicts Aoba. And I don't know how old her character is, but I, I'm never taking this out of the plastic. I, <laughs> I mean...
0: You know, I would say if the if the gameplay loop was stronger or tight, more tightly knit, then the disconcertingness of the, the Maiden combined with Gradius' premise wouldn't be as bad, but because the gameplay loop suffers, you get the, then the aesthetics become overpowering and it just comes, it gives you more of a creepy or voyeuristic vibe. Yeah.
1: It's more of a factor because the game itself isn't strong enough or engaging enough to give you the, the ability to really look past that or the, well, I can forgive, you know, that in favor of the game is really good and I can just sort of ignore the characters and just enjoy the gameplay. But as you said, the gameplay loop isn't as strong as it could or should be, given the the foundations that it, this is pulling from.
0: You know, it, it, and what's even more disconcerting is it, it can be tastefully done. Sexy Parody is done by the same company. I mean, granted, this was... Years earlier, but still, it's still Konami was done years before and did a very good job of walking the line and still had stellar gameplay.
1: Right. And, and, and the way that Sexy Parodius did it was suggestive without being creepy and it was also campy. So it was, uh, it was less burlesque and more vaudeville if you get where I'm going with that analogy.
0: Yeah, although I have to say that Tanuki was a little bit uh, creepy and disturbing.
1: Well, yes. If you know
0: which one I'm talking about. Tanuki
1: was disturbing, (laughs) and I'm sure we'll get to that eventually. But yeah, I think on the whole, that did a much better job of balancing the elements. Now, I understand that cultural mores are different uh, throughout different parts of the world. And so this may not necessarily be seen as, as creepy or as pervy as we might think it is here in the United States, but certainly it's a factor. And I think if it's something that concerns you, then be aware of it at least before you spend your money on it. Um, Having said that, I think it is possible to look past that uh, to a degree, but just know that you're not getting a top tier shmup when you buy Otometeus Excellent and so its flaws are are going to be more apparent and this aspect of the game will be more front and center and whether or not that's something you can deal with is is uh, a thing that you're going to have to make you know a decision you'll have to make on your own
0: yeah it, it's, it's i guess the overarching is it's a shame that the aesthetics or, or the some of the design choice in this game made it into something less than what it should be it, it was it deserved better than this it's it, it's not terrible and I think more people should play it but it's just the pre, the way it was presented and the way it was done it just turned people off and, and that's evidenced by the sales numbers.
1: Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm looking at the art book as we're talking about this and on the front of the art book is Dark Force as the sort of larval stage that we mentioned, the little girl version of, of Dark Force that you fight at the end of the game. And it's very cute. You know, Uh, she's got these weird looking green eyes. So you can tell that she's not exactly human, but she has this cute little frilly dress outfit on and all this, but it's very, it's, it's not, it's not,
0: she looks like a death smiles character. Yeah.
1: But, but very tasteful, you know, there's no, there's no suggestiveness about it. It's just a cute character that because of the nature of the character being this sort of big dark force, literally, um, you know, kind of is a nice dichotomy between this, cutesy little character and then what it represents that I think succeeds Uh, a lot of the rest of the cast I think there's there's too much emphasis on the
0: they look more like they were in this is uh, most likely true that all the girls are based upon fetishes rather than being based upon actual characters or something that you would want to play as
1: sure and I mean there are there are a couple of exceptions within the list. Uh, Madoka being the younger girl, uh, sh- her character is tasteful. You know, it, it has a very twin bee kind of uh, look about her. And so it's, uh, it's like a, a school uniform shirt and, and a uh, pair of shorts or what have you. And then uh, Arnval, uh, since, you know, her character is different. It's, it's almost like she's got this sort of mecha bodysuit thing on and it's far less suggestive than the rest of the cast. And so, you know, it's, they could have, they could have done more with it and they certainly could have, have given you abilities to, or the ability to play these characters in a less suggestive manner Uh, you know, it would have been nice if they would have had alternate outfits from the start, not DLC outfits, but I mean, that's fine if you want to go that route, but to have something that is a little less suggestive to use from the start so that you could pick, say, one of two costumes, something that has that, that style, and then something that is a little bit more reserved, like here in the art book, Tita Neum. You know, you've got her standard outfit that she has in the game. And then on the next page, there's a picture of her uh, because she's a bacterian defector that almost looks like this uh, similar to Arnval, like a bodysuit that is, you know, it's still a little suggestive, but it's not quite as as bad. So it, it certainly would be I certainly would have appreciated an option to to go with a a less suggestive costume set that I can pick from at the start of the game so that I could not have to focus on that stuff and just focus on the shooting.
0: Yeah. It's sort of funny when you think about it. I know this isn't, um, I couldn't help but think of Bayonetta as being Done as uh, sort of a modern take on powerful, but also being sexy, and just a, a, a good character that would be a fit, fit for something within here. This, this just go, as we mentioned, goes a little bit. needle goes a little bit too far towards the previous segment, and it just sort of uh, gets, puts an entire off-putting vibe. It, it makes you sort of like uh, feel a little bit uh, dirty, maybe when playing the game or. Or something that you're not going to go. Hey, everybody, come on over. Watch what I'm playing.
1: Right, and I'm glad you brought that up because Bayonetta is a good example. I like the Bayonetta games, and I'm looking forward to Bayonetta Three when it comes out.
0: As we record this, it'll probably be in the January direct.
1: Yeah, but the thing about Bayonetta is that the character works. Her character works because of several things. Number one, she's an adult. She has agency. She's obviously powerful, and she uses that and plays it up in such a way that that it's obvious that it's part of her persona. Number two, it's done. I, I liken it to the the ultra violence that's in No More Heroes, for example. That game is so ultra violent to the point of self parody; it becomes ridiculous, and so it's it's like it's so violent that it's not because it's it's so ridiculously over the top that you know that it's, it's cartoonish. And so in, in the case of Bayonetta, her kind of over the top playfulness and overtness in that sense is, it's just a character trait. It's not, it's not exploitative, I guess you could say, at least not directly um, because she's very much a participant in in that playfulness and that overtness in that sense. And and the character design too. I mean, it's so, it's so ridiculous and unrealistic. I'll say that, you know, there's a, there's certainly a suspension of disbelief that happens, but with Otometius, you know, it's, it's younger characters. So there's that, that is, you know, problematic, I'll say. And there's really nothing in at least nothing that I saw during my time with the game that showed me that this was part of their persona. They're just wearing these really suggestive uniforms, and that just seemed to be because that's how Konami designed it. And maybe maybe that was their whole point. Maybe they were just targeting uh, you know, the otaku audience that happens to also like shooting games. I mean, my time on Twitter has taught me that there are a lot of people who like shooting games that also happen to like, you know, this this kind of anime style, and are into these sorts of things. The Toho community certainly uh, proves that to be true because there are, there's a lot of crossover between folks who are into the Toho shoot 'em up games and then people who get into various anime and manga and and works that present you know, that kind of art style and, and uh, then storytelling based around that and all that. So I don't know for me, it's just a little uncomfortable. And I wish that, I wish that Konami would have painted with a slightly broader brush and given us costume choices or something else that we could do. Um, or maybe, you know, give you the option to see less of the character and kind of do a NBA jam style where you pilot the ship and then you have big head mode so that the, the character's head sticks out of the ship. So you know exactly which one you're playing with and which pilot you have, but you know, it's less gratuitous that way.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not really sure on how you would do, would fix this or make this on here. I mean, I, you almost sort of think that they missed an opportunity here by so put, they should have put the uh, skimpier outfits as DLC, or it <laughs> made more money that way. But it, it's just uh, it, it it just keeps in that that line where there's it's just not about empowerment. It's just about have about just dealing with their tar- their target audience and what they believe to the target target audience to be young males or uh single males and want to <sighs> cater to that. It's right. Just, and may, this may be one of those cases where this is one of the games where they knew their target audience and our target audience isn't us.
1: Yeah, that could, that could be, although <laughs> the, the sales numbers don't necessarily uh, aren't aren't as reflective of that as they may have thought they would be.
0: True. I I, I guess in some ways it's maybe looking back if you pull in the dead or alive series used to play, play a lot of that when I was younger, but now it's not a series that uh, I need to, uh, I don't play games to see a lot of jiggle anymore. (laughs) Right. So I I guess uh, it's not a game where I'm gonna start calling, "Hey family, gather around, look at this new game I got." Let's all watch this. You know, it's just it's one of those games that you play as you as you're a young adult and you go through. It's just sad because I can see that that this game has potential. The Gradius formula has the potential to do something neat, and it has done something neat within Parodius. This is supposed to be the spiritual sequel to Parodius, or maybe a modern take on it. It didn't have the biggest budget, but it deserved better than what we ended up with. And I'm curious now to try Otomedius G to see how well it stacks up. From everything I've seen, I might like Odominius' G. You know, aesthetics aside, the gameplay loop in Odominius' G might, looks a little bit better than X, and I'm a little curious to try it and find out.
1: Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, I think it's an apt comparison in, in some ways with Dead or Alive, because at least with Dead or Alive, you know, I can't... I Well, I can't speak to the original as much other than the... Uh, Dead or Alive Ultimate version that was on the Xbox, but Dead or Alive 2, regardless of the, uh, I'll say, physics in the game, um, that's a solid fighting game, and it's fun to play. And, you know, when I bought the Dead or Alive Ultimate pack on Xbox, I had a lot of fun with that. and I played through it and, and beat it a couple of times. I mean, it's, regardless of what character you use, it's a good game.
0: It is, and the gameplay loop definitely holds up for that game and gets you past the uh, occasional... Well, I shouldn't say occasional, the constant physics.
1: Right. But this game, while I think it's solid, I don't think it does enough to differentiate itself from the Gradius series. I don't think it does enough to warrant the emphasis that it puts on the more salacious elements. And I don't think that it's easier to look past that or to say, well, I could ignore that because the game's good. And so I think that ends up making it harder to, harder to recommend. I'll say.
0: Yeah, I I agree completely on there. It's just disappointing that, that it, that it could do a lot more with what, what it has than what it presents and most of it is brought down by a gameplay loop that is close to being its own thing but not quite there in aesthetics that can be off-putting
1: yeah i mean i've got my money's worth out of it just from the fact that i paid a little bit less and also because i i put that uh the soundtrack CD that came with the art book in my car. And that was on repeat for weeks. Uh, you know, it's a lot of really cool remixes of various Konami music from Gradius, Salamander, Thundercross, uh, Zag and, and other games, uh, throughout their Canon. And so that in and of itself is worth owning. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, because I think the, uh, The full four or five disc soundtrack that you can buy for Otomatius G or Otomatius X are, I think they're ridiculously expensive at this point. Um, So this is a good way to at least get a, a chunk of that. And it's a, it's a nice selection, but yeah, this is definitely a, if you have the ability to try before you buy and know going in that it has some issues.
0: Agreed. So, with that, our thoughts out of the way, what's coming next?
1: Ah, uh, well, in January, as we are recording this, we are now playing Ketsui. Uh, this is our first cave shoot 'em up, and it's a big one. So, not only are we uh, playing that for the month of January. But then that is our score challenge focus for all of 2020. And of course, this was released in the arcade and received ports on the PlayStation 3, which is region free. The PlayStation 4 port, which came out uh, in 2018 from M2 on their Shot Triggers line, that is excellent and highly recommended. Uh, The Xbox 360 version is not region free, however, uh, which was similar to the PS3 version in terms of uh, that was actually the first home port that came out, and so be aware of that if you if you want to go the Xbox 360 route, you'll either need a modded 360 or a Japanese model.
0: <coughs> and I believe that the PS, I know the PS3 model version does, but I believe the Xbox 360 version runs faster than it should. So the PS4 release is what you want. Either that, or you could always emulate it. Right. I'm sure you probably didn't get to this, but there is a DS version, but the DS version is more of a boss rush mode and is pretty expensive. So stick with the PS4 version or emulate it.
1: Right now. Now, if anyone wants to participate in Ketsui death label on the DS, we would be happy to take score submissions for that because I think it would be cool to see a little bit of competition. And I might try to demo that if you will, so I can at least get a feel for it. But uh, yeah, generally speaking, I'm going to be spending my time on the PS4 release,
0: and that's that's where all the players are right now, anyways, with the leaderboards and then the replays. And
1: right, and it has save states so that when you when you get to another stage, you can save and then start practicing the next stage and things like that. And so it's got a lot of good features, plus all the other modes like the. Like the super easy mode, the death duty mode, which is fantastic, the IKD 2007 special, which is another mode that uh, you know we may look at from a scoring perspective. So, tons of content. Uh, and then in February, we are going to be taking a look at a uh, shoot 'em up from Taito that is not Space Invaders or Darius. No, we will be looking at a game called Grid Seeker Project Stormhammer, which was an arcade release and then has subsequently been made available on PlayStation 2 and Xbox via the Taito Legends, uh, specifically Taito Legends 2. And I, I want to say it's also available on one of the Taito Memories compilations uh, as Japanese releases as well. So that will be February.
0: Sounds like a good way to uh, send some love, Taito's way. Indeed. like to send some shout-outs here. I need to say thanks to Ser Flash of Studio Mudprints, slash Bullet Heaven for the logo. like to thank Kogasu for the intro and outro music, everybody at R Gen and the R Gen Playcast, and everyone who participated in, for the month of December 2019. Also, like to thank everyone who participated in the RF Gen NES Challenge, which mentioned previously was extended into 2020. And also like to thank Metalfro for streaming this game and uh, taking the risk of getting his uh, Twitch account banned.
1: <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I, now, now that I'm uh, now that I'm moved on to Katsui, uh, it's going to be a whole lot of me dying a lot and just being frustrated for a little while. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> hopefully I won't get my account banned for, uh, for outbursts.
0: Just make sure to mark your YouTube uh, archives as uh, not safe for kids.
1: Yeah. Well, I try to keep it family friendly, but you know, after, after 25 deaths, it can get uh, a little frustrating. So if you would like to connect with the podcast, there are several ways you can do that. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast, or you can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Go ahead and join up at RFGeneration.com. It is free to sign up, and you can join in a Shmup Club playthrough. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. Remember, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. And uh, we also have the most recent episode, usually uploaded to SoundCloud as well. And uh, then you can also, of course, get the episode directly at RFGeneration.com, where you can stream it or download the MP3. Also, make sure to join the RF Generation Discord channel and check out the dedicated Shoot the Core Cast topic, where we'll be discussing the games, and people will be posting screenshots and, uh, and photos of their scores. And if you want to watch me stream the games, go to Twitch.tv and find Guru game Boy, Twitch.tv slash Guru Game Boy, and you can watch me stream the Shmup Club game of the month, among other things. Before we go, I would like to also shout out Collector Cast, uh, the RF Generation Collector Cast, and in particular Duke Togo. He was uh, not participating this month. Uh, but he was there for several of my streams, and uh offering encouragement and and trying to uh spur me on to finally get that uh that clear and so thank you to Duke Togo for the encouragement through the month of December for that. I know he 's been a little under the weather here as we record this, and so uh I hope by the time this episode comes out that he'll be feeling better and and so forth but uh anyway just wanted to give him a shout
0: excellent i'd also like to say thank you to everyone for listening we hope you enjoy
1: yes and please come and join us for our ketsui scoring competition this year